Uh, but anyway, it's good to see some old friends and some faces that I haven't seen before. Welcome along tonight. Great to have you uh, here with us. As Josh said, after I moved on from here, I fully focused on another of our C3 churches uh, in Christchurch called St. Martin C3, where I am now the senior pastor. My reign of terror has begun. <laughs> But no, it's going well. St. Martin C3 is a great church. Actually, I can one-up your story about missing the start of a service. During COVID, we had to have two venues where we had uh, people come and enjoy the service. And I was in charge of the video feed for the second service. And I remember being up there in the second service during the first set of worship. And it was the second song, just coming towards the end of the second song. Before the service leader was going to come up, I was going, yes, everything's working. And was kind of chatting to people up there. And then I thought, great, the service service leader will now jump up on stage, and then I remembered I was the service leader. And so I had to run out the door, down the fire escape, around the building, sprinted all the way through. I came into the auditorium and then just casually kind of walked up to the stage. Uh, unfortunately, though, my fitness wasn't that good, so I got up to the stage. I was like, thanks for leading us in worship. And it was a great moment. People were like, what on earth is going on? And when they found out, they, were, they mocked me incessantly. So so, yeah, great church, St. Martin C3, uh, but it is good to be here with you tonight. Tonight, I'm here to talk to you about sex. Uh, honestly, I take it as a massive compliment. Uh, when Joshua and Sarah thought about a sex expert, they thought about me. <laughs> Actually, I've got to be honest, it is a bit intimidating, and I hope that tonight as we explore this topic, you will find a nugget or two to take away and process, and that ultimately you'll be drawn to the one who made your heart, made your body, and desires to be glorified in you. So before we begin tonight, can we pray to the one who made us, and to the one who made sex, and to the one who knows how it all works well. And as we do, we've been talking about a journey, and I want you just in this moment to bring where on, you are on the journey. Wherever you are, you might be lost, you might feel disoriented, or you might feel like you're on the right path. Tonight as we pray, can we just bring that to God? Jesus, tonight, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your cross. We thank you that whatever has been, is nothing compared to what will be. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, we thank you for your wisdom. In James 1, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely to all without finding fault. And God it can be so confusing in our world. And we need wisdom. So we pray tonight that you would speak. Beyond anything I say, that you would speak. Drop something, one thing, the right thing, into every heart here tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's trek back. Last week, Josh began this series uh, by saying that we are talking about sex, the physical act, and sexuality, which he defined as the overarching umbrella of our sexual nature, our sexual preferences, urges, and desires. And who was here last week who heard that message? Some of us, but some of us weren't, so let me just recap for you. He painted this beautiful picture of the destination of our sexuality, those preferences, urges, and desires. He said that our sexuality is designed to reflect and connect. 
Unless you embrace a single life, the destination looks like a man and a woman committed to marriage and having a sexual relationship that's filled with unity, intimacy, commitment, pleasure, and passion. So that's the destination, and I think Josh compared it to Timaru last week. I don't know what he knows about Timaru that I don't know about Timaru, but uh, the question now is, how do we get there? How do we get there? Tonight, I want to talk to you about maps. If we're on the road to success, then we need to, uh, a guide to tell us how to get there. And the Holy Spirit, as Josh mentioned last week, is a fantastic guide. But there are maps along the way. There are guidelines that we can look to that will help us. But we need to make sure we choose the right map. Uh, I was reading this week about the family of a North Carolina man who is suing Google Maps. They claim the company's Maps application last year led him to drive off a collapsed bridge and fall about 20 feet to his death. He is a no longer living example of what happens when we choose the wrong maps to follow. Many of our sex and sexuality maps are faulty. If we follow them, they will lead us off a bridge or, as Josh said last week, take a shortcut through the Coromandel on a shingle road to nowhere. Yeah, so we've got to make sure we choose the right map. So to begin with, let's look at three, what I think are, faulty maps that we can have in this area. The first one is no map. This is like trying to head to Timaru and just getting in the car and driving. Hopefully we'll see a road sign somewhere that tells us we're close. We'll just follow our nose. It's just doing what feels right, doing what feels good. I have needs, I have desires. They must all be God-given desires. You know, having sex is it's natural, right? It's just a physical activity like playing ping pong but without clothes on. It feels good. Just do it, it's, it's easy. And that's sex and sexuality without a map. It never leads to the destination of sexual fulfillment. You're far more likely to end up lost in the woods, stuck in a marsh, or driving off a broken bridge and destroying yourself if you choose that. What does it lead to? Addiction, abuse, broken relationships, unwanted infections and pregnancies, emotional attachment to people you don't love, isolation, heartbreak, having no map, never leads anywhere good, and hopefully you know that. But then there's a second map, and this is the map that most of our society uses. It's called the consenting adults map. So if just doing what feels good doesn't work, let's put some guidelines on and use the consenting adults map. It says, and I quote this from an article actually on uh, sex, from, not from a Christian source, but sex is a good and healthy part of life, no matter the shape it takes, so long as everyone is into it. If you're not a Christian, I can see why this seems like a great idea. And it is a much better idea than no map at all. It even ticks a couple of the boxes. It allows there to be freedom for passion and pleasure and, and no coercion. Yet, it doesn't seem to work. I read an article last week that said that New Zealand males are the world's worst lovers. There you go. There's a title that <laughs> Kiwi guys never wanted to have. And women weren't much better. Another article the previous week, uh, it was interesting, this, this juxtaposition, this, this interplay. Another article the previous week had one expert saying that we should turn the word slut from a negative word to a positive word. And I can't help but wonder if the same impulse that wants to celebrate having many casual sexual partners is the attitude behind the reason Kiwis are so bad at sex. They've ticked the baseline of consent. 
But then sex is still about themselves and their passion and their pleasure. And it leads to nearly as much harm as the first map. It's completely inadequate. Following the map of consenting adults does not naturally lead to the destination of reflecting God's image in unity or connecting committed, passionate, pleasurable, and intimate sex. So then there's a third map. This is still the wrong map, but it's one that the church has given us. It's called the purity culture map. And this is one, this map is a a map you could have picked up from uh, nearly every church from about 1990 to 2015. This map was a bestseller. It spawned conferences, books, songs, and purity rings. Britney Spears was into it until she wasn't. (laughs) Purity culture was significant in many people's lives, and it wasn't all bad. However, it left a lot of people damaged and disillusioned with Christianity. And if you are to uh, pick up some of these purity books, it's like picking up a book on 19th century etiquette. Some of the advice is just bizarre. Here are the main faulty messages from this book, these books, this movement, this map. Number one is that guys can't control themselves. Purity culture says that men are out of control and women are part of the problem. For example, there's a book called uh, Sexy Girls, which I actually think... I picked up from the South City C3 library. I, I, I read it. It's actually under Josh's chair there. We can, we can, we can burn it later. Um, it has all this idea on how a female should dress attractively, but not too attractive. It says things like, your makeup reveals to guys what kind of girl, girl you are. And the truth is, the more makeup, the more sex the guy thinks he's going to get. Yeah, because guys can't control themselves. If you have a look in your, your sermon notes, seriously, there's like a whole other sermon in the sermon notes. I just couldn't decide what to say. I mean, half of it's gone in there, but there's a whole bunch of quotes in there about how, hey, for guys, this is just instinct. They really just can't control themselves. The second message of this uh, map is, is that sex is only emotional for women and only physical for men. A book called Love and Respect said, if your husband is typical, he has a need that you don't have. Another book called uh, Every Young Woman's Battle says, guys give love to get sex, girls give sex to get love. And what rubbish that is. Do men often have a greater sexual interest than women? Yes, sometimes, but not always. I've counseled people pre-marriage, post-marriage, pre-divorce, post-divorce. It's not always the case. It's not that rare to find a woman who is more interested than men are. And do men see sex as separate from love? No. One study showed that 54% of men said that emotional closeness is the most important part of sex for them. I think that number is actually much higher because if there's one thing I know about guys is that we're not always in touch with our emotional side. And if we were honest, we'd go, actually, men want more from the sexual experience than just an orgasm. Otherwise, they wouldn't do sex with others. They just watch porn. It's easier. They want the intimacy. They want the connection. They want to be passionate with another person. Those are emotional needs, not physical drives. Sex is just as much an emotional need for men as it is for women. And the third uh, thing about the purity movement is it says that if you hold on to a marriage, then amazing sex will happen all the time, guaranteed. 
And this has two sides to it. One is that it assumes sex will be easy to figure out, and the other is that women in particular, and there's the underlying message that they're guilted into having sex even if it is not what they want or even if it's unpleasant for them. Love and Respect, again, says the cold hard truth is that men are often lured into affairs because they are sexually deprived at home. What's the underlying message there? Well, if a guy has an affair, he just can't control himself, so it must be her fault. What rubbish. The underlying message is that women are the gatekeepers of sex. Before marriage, they need to have the tap turned tightly off, and then during marriage, they need to have the tap all the way on. Purity culture is not the right map. So, if those maps are wrong, what can we do? We need to find a new map. And what you will find in the right map is that it has some similar locations to the purity culture map, but it is much different. People have done a good job deconstructing the purity movement, but oftentimes they've gone too far. Like the person who moves from being a fundamentalist Christian to an atheist They've rejected the whole thing. However, deconstruction, without the aim of taking good pieces for reconstruction, is just destruction. I build Lego with my girls. I've got two daughters, and they love Lego, which is cool. I enjoy building things with them. There are times when we're building something with Lego where we look at it and we go, oh, gosh, that's, that's not quite right. It's not the way it's supposed to look in the picture. There's some things about it which are a bit off. What do we do? Do we throw the whole thing in the bin and say, we're done with that and we're probably done with Lego altogether? No, no. What we do is we go back to the instruction manual. We see where we went wrong. We pull apart the pieces, remove the wrong pieces, and rebuild it properly. To get back to the idea of a map, it's like an old map of New Zealand. Uh, If we can put that up there on the screen. This is an old map of New Zealand. As you can see, it's pretty close. Although Christchurch looks like a little bit of an island, kind (laughs) of stuck out there way off to the side. And I'm not sure if Ashburton is in the sea somewhere. Uh, And yeah, there's just a few things which are a little bit bit wrong (laughs) with that map. And you wouldn't navigate by it. They thought Banks Peninsula was an island. Yes, I think that's what they thought. But if you spent a bit more time on this map, it would be quite helpful. So let's pull out the bad bits of purity culture, but see that it pointed to a much truer reality. Here are some of the locations on the right map. I have four signposts that show that if you want to go on the road to success, this is how you know you're using the right map. The first two are about our attitude to God. The second two are our attitude to each other. The first one is this. We choose holiness over horniness. All right, Holiness over horniness. The path to God's good purpose for your sex life is the place of holiness. Devoting yourself to God, not to your body's urges and desires. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body, her own body, and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. 
Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. God's desire for you, for me, is to live a holy life. But holy means much more than just being good. It's so much bigger than that. If we were to do a biblical study on the word holy, which you should do sometime, by the way, it's amazing, you would find that every time the word holy is mentioned, it refers to something devoted to God, something that refers to God. God's holiness, in fact, is most often associated with fire. Like Moses before the burning bush, that's the first mention of the word holy. You know, the place you're standing is holy ground, the burning bush. Like Isaiah, when he had a a vision of God in his temple with the burning coals and he fell before him undone, he thought he was going to die. But the coal touched his lips and he was forgiven. See, the fire of God's holiness either consumes or it cleanses. Think about that for a minute in regards to this area. Paul is telling the people of Thessalonica not just to be good. He's telling them to be different, not to hold on to wasteful and worthless ways, but to give them up to God, to be like him, to have the fire of his holiness consume the things of their their life that are not of him and cleanse the things that can be used by him. That means that when we feel the urges of sexual desire, our horniness, we acknowledge it, that we have sexual feelings. We're not supposed to kill that part of our life. We just choose to channel those desires to godly ends. Did you know that one of the uh, chemicals that's released in the sexual experience is called oxytocin? It's a chemical that gives you a really nice feeling. It's designed to bond you to the person that you have sex with. It's also the chemical released when you achieve something. It's designed to bond you to that experience so that you do it again. Our life of holiness looks like handing your sexual urges to God and focusing on the good things he calls you to. You will find that he will bring you to a place of still feeling good about life, even if it's not always through a sexual experience. So holiness rather than horniness. Secondly, surrender is more significant than sexual expression. There's a lot of talk these days about identity, defining your identity and expressing your identity. But if we believe in Jesus, then our number one identity is our identity in him. All other identities take second place. Some people want to put their sexual identity on a pedestal and say it's more foundational than any other thing. If you're a Christian, then it's not. Your identity to Christ defines every other identity. And by the way, if you want to track how bizarre that idea is of going, well, sex is something different and foundational, there's a great essay in the notes from uh, C.S. Lewis, and you can have a look at an extended quote, and I think it actually might be one of the last things he ever wrote. It's called No Right to Happiness. Just because we think something's going to make us fulfilled doesn't mean we have a right to it. If our identity is in Christ, then our sexual surrender to Christ must become more important than any sexual expression. Romans 6 verse 13 says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. 
Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. What does that look like? It looks like controlling our body. It's natural and healthy to want sex, but we choose to control our desires and urges with God's help. We are capable of resisting temptation, and we're responsible not to violate anyone else's boundaries. Also looks like controlling our thoughts. You know, lust is a battle many people struggle with. In Christ, though, we're no longer slaves to sin, but to the Spirit. When the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know many people struggle with pornography. Some do, some don't. But do you know that you can find freedom from that? I've seen it in people's lives. When they've worked on that area in their life, and they've been able to find the freedom from that thing which can be so pervasive. Do you know you can also see an attractive person and not make it sexual, right? Just because you see someone who's attractive, it doesn't have to become something sexual in your mind. The old saying is you can't stop a bird flying over your head, but you can stop it from nesting in your hair. Acknowledge the other person's beauty, and then move on. Don't have to dwell on it. God is gracious. As we surrender to him and ask for his help, he brings his mercy into the places where we fail. And he longs to make us new. It doesn't matter what's happened before. It's about what happens now. It's what happens next. Let me tell you, God is more interested in your holiness than your virginity. And for many of us, that might mean now that part of our holiness is staying a virgin. But if you're not in that place, their call now is to be holy, to surrender to him. Also in the the notes, there's a link to an amazing analogy of welcoming Jesus into all parts of your life. It's called My Heart Christ Home. If you get some time, have a read of that and what it takes to surrender. It's a process. It's well worth a read. So that's our attitude towards God. We choose holiness over horniness. We make surrender more significant than sexual expression. What about our relationships to each other? How do we do this, this relational thing? Well, I think one of the things that has to happen for us to be on the, the road to success is intimacy needs to replace infatuation. I read a book earlier this year called The Great Sex Rescue, and it pointed out that the purpose of sex is not primarily pleasure and passion. It's that we would be intimate with another human being. They pointed out this verse in Genesis 4, verse 1, and this is in the old style of the Bible and the King James even. It says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Well, what, hang on, what on earth is going on here? It seems like the Bible is trying to keep its, its G rating, which, by the way, by the time you get to a book like Ezekiel, they're just like, nah, we're over there. We're just going to talk about all sorts of wild stuff. But at this point, what are they trying to just tame the message? Uh, why didn't it just say that Adam and Eve had sex? Well, the word for know here is the Hebrew word yada, 
It is used over a thousand times in the Hebrew Bible. And it means to know, or rather to deeply know someone or something. It's the same word that's used in Psalm 139 when David says, Lord, you search me and you know me. You yada me. You know me totally. You know me intimately. The Bible knows something our world just can't seem to get its head around. Sex is not just about pleasure and passion. It's not about positions and touching. It's not about the quality of your orgasm. It's about a deep knowing of another person. The Great Sex Rescue surveyed thousands of women, and here is what they found. They said, when we ask women, how satisfied are you with the amount of closeness you share with your husband during sex? Women who said they were satisfied, women who said they were satisfied were five times more likely to reliably orgasm during sex. If you want to have great sex, commit to intimacy in your relationships instead of infatuation. It's about knowing someone deeply rather than a shallow lust. See, here's a truth that I think we all need. Sex is not the ultimate human experience. That's the problem with all those false maps. They've kind of pushed sex up on this pedestal to say it is this ultimate thing that we can experience. And even the Christian authors seem to be saying the same thing, but that's not what Scripture really teaches. What Scripture really tells us is that relational oneness is the ultimate human experience. Relational oneness, first with God and then with each other. If you're single... You might not be having sex, but you can be experiencing part of its purpose. Get involved in intimate, close, personal relationships with others. Treat people as whole people, not just someone to potentially have sex with one day. Be interested in the whole person. If you want to have a great sex life, look, it, it can start now. We've got a world which is so desperate and hungry for relationships, real relationships, people who really care about them and their lives. And if you can be used to that kind of intimacy, then gosh, when the time comes and you get married then you can experience better sex because you are intimately committed to another person. Let, let me tell you a little bit uh, about uh, marriage for a second. Good sex in marriage is not as easy as you might think. It's a journey of discovery and joy. And don't expect to be an expert on the first day. There's a lot to learn about sex. You've got to navigate busy lives and periods and pregnancy and children and preferences and illness, as well as being connected, taking the time, focusing on the other person's needs, their wants, their desires. You've got one person who might uh, want sex more and one person who want, might want sex less. You've got all kinds of things that need to be worked through. It's a joyful journey, but it has its ups and downs. And unless you're intimately committed to the other person, unless you're committed in that intimate way, then you can't achieve good sex. It just is, isn't possible. So if you want to be a great lover, start by being a great listener. There you go, tweet that. 
Be a great friend. Be involved in relationship where you put others before yourself. Share deeply about yourself and be kind with others' vulnerability. That's the steps to success. And then finally, commitment before canoodling. Probably I could have cho chosen a different word there uh, because canoodling could just be like a cuddle and that's all good. Uh, but it, commitment before coitus just didn't sound quite as good. <laughs> There's a reason that a committed relationship is better than a casual relationship. It's because it's the kind of relationship that fosters the kind of intimacy that Scripture points to. It's not just that we shouldn't know someone we don't know. It's that sex is related to joining in a committed life relationship. It's to be the final piece, not the first piece. Sexual closeness without a relational commitment is incomplete love. And there's a, a great uh, reference in the notes there as well to a, a great um, theory on complete love uh, from a guy called Sternberg, which you can look up later. We will always run into problems when physical bonding does not match emotional closeness and relational commitment. One night after church, a young guy came to me and said he wanted to sleep with his girlfriend. He loved her. What was the big deal? He had emotional closeness, so he wanted physical intimacy. He quite liked her. The first thing I said to him was, dude, keep your voice down. Her parents are three rows behind us, and if they hear you talking like this, they will end you. They just, that's, it's over at that point. Then we talked about his relational commitment. Did he want to marry her? Did he see it ever going that way? No, he said. So I, see, I told him, man, you don't really completely love her. You say you do, but you don't really completely love her, not that much. They did sleep together. And then when they broke up, it was very hurtful for them both. That's why we should commit before we canoodle, by which I mean have sex. So we've got to make sure that uh, our relational commitment matches the intimacy that we want to have at every step of our relationship. And the exactly, Chris. So here's the question. Or here's the statement. You are using the right map when you choose holiness over horniness. When you see that surrender is more significant than sexual expression. When intimacy replaces infatuation. And where commitment happens before canoodling. Can we commit to devoting ourselves to God once again? Then to each other in all our relationships. Can we do that? Is that something we think we can do? Yeah. Can we stand to our feet this evening, please? So, tonight, as we're in this place, we're on this journey, wanting to get to that destination. And maybe for us, we see that the destination is not just success, it's relationship success. And tonight, maybe you're a single person and you're committed to being single. And so you go, well, why does the church always talk about sex? Tonight, I hope there's something here for you that you see that uh, whether this is a stage for you or whether this is your life, that there is something very good that God is calling you into. There is community 
relational intimacy, that he's calling you into something good. And tonight, if you're here and you've been through a time where you have struggled and all you know is guilt and shame, and maybe you're still struggling even today, we have a God who is gracious, who calls us to holiness. And as Isaiah was standing there in the heavenly throne room, and the angel came and touched his lips with the coal, and he was cleansed. So God wants to touch your life with his holiness and bring his cleansing. So tonight, can you bring that to God? Or maybe you're here and you know that you are heading to a place of marriage, or maybe you're there already. There's a challenge here tonight for you to decide that sex, sex is going to be about more than just a physical act. It's going to be about knowing and intimacy. And you're going to commit to that in all ways, shapes, and forms. Lord God, tonight we come here before you and we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. You are good, O oh God. And we devote ourselves first to you and to your ways. And we devote ourselves to each other that we would love through commitment, through intimacy. Lord, show us your way, I pray. And I believe God tonight is asking us to surrender. He's saying, will you trust me? Will you do things my way instead of the world's? And maybe tonight, if, if you want to respond to that, you can just open your hands before him. Say, God, I offer myself to you tonight. Would you come and meet me in this moment? Would you show me yourself? Would you lead me from where I am to where you need me to be? Show me that, that next step. Show me that one thing. Bring me your grace. Mm. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you meet us in this moment? Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of all creation, Lord of all eternity, be our Lord in this moment. Be our King. Be the one that we rely upon rather than ourselves. May we know you. And may we choose you.